0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM.
1: I got to say, Mike, you kind of scared me a little bit because you you started talking about attack vectors and cryptographic signatures. And I I was like, ah, okay, you know, and the flux capacitor, you know, (laughs) so... (laughs) So but this is like complicated stuff. But what I like about it is what you're trying to do, Mike, is you're trying to take these very sophisticated kinds of things and you're trying to deliver a value proposition to your clients that is really simplifying some of this and making, you know, these complex sort of algorithms and approaches and protocol very much accessible to that marketplace. So how does MedCrip create Uh, A sale. How do you how does this happen? Do you go out and you because you mentioned that there is this kind of rare event management perception sometimes with what you guys believe should be a focus of um, better uh, cybersecurity. So how do you Well, how does this happen? How does a sale happen and how do you market this uh, in a way that you found that is most compelling in your in your mind?
0: Yeah. So, so um, I, I had mentioned that our number one competitor is essentially the status quo. Mm-hmm, right, manufacturers mm-hmm. choosing not to do anything. Fortunately, the the FDA has come out recently with new requirements for medical device vendors around cybersecurity mm-hmm. that basically prohibit them from just allowing the status quo.
1: So oh, we, we don't
0: have to fight that as much gotcha. anymore. Gotcha. Um, so so that's that's a that's a, a good sign, right? So most of the times when we talk to a device vendor. Now we hear, hey, here are all of the things we're doing around security. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the interesting thing about the cybersecurity market, you know, I come from a, a physics and healthcare background, mm-hmm. not, not originally cybersecurity. So this, this dynamic is a bit new to me, mm-hmm. but it, it now makes sense. In order to work in security, you need to be a little bit paranoid. Right? Your, your job as a
1: security person
0: <laughs> is to yeah. figure out when, when you're being had. Mm-hmm. So when salespeople for, for cybersecurity companies talk to prospective customers. Mm-hmm. The customers are almost always on edge, they're on guard, they mm-hmm. think they're being sold snake oil. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's also a tendency for software engineers and technical people to to feel that they know this problem space better than anybody else could, mm-hmm. certainly mm-hmm. better than some random salesperson. Mm-hmm. So there, th- those are some pretty, some pretty big, big challenges for us to overcome. So one of the things that we've done that has really worked well for us so far mm-hmm. is we've tried to Take advantage of opportunities to speak to medical device vendors about this problem at conferences, that? at um, you know, through through you know, radio, uh, uh, the podcast interviews, and engagements like the one, you know, the conversation we're having today.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but have those conversations in sort of a, a pseudo academic fashion. We don't talk actually a lot about our product. Mm-hmm. We talk about what is the problem. Why mm-hmm. is it a priority for your organization? What are the challenges that you are going to face in trying to adapt to this new landscape? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, what happens is. We we go in and we give these presentations and we say, hey, this is a really big big problem. Here, are all of the attributes of the problem that make it challenging for you to address on your own. Mm-hmm. Here, are all of the roadblocks you're going to run up, run into. Any questions? Mm-hmm. And then at the end, you know, we'll get some some technical questions about things. And then I end up getting these emails after the presentation, like, "Hey, you didn't really talk about your product. What is it that you do?" And so actually, we you know we do X, Y, and Z. Remember when I said that this would be challenging for a reason? Why? Well, here's how we address that. And it has turned out to be a really powerful way to to sort of. Um, get our prospective customers, you know, uh, bring bring down their guard to talk about the problem organically, and it's sort of a, a soft sell approach that has worked worked pretty well so far.
1: Very, very cool. I love it, listeners. I hope you just listened to this because Mike just pointed out something that was absolutely important and absolutely critical uh, from a marketing perspective, especially in the space of a business-to-business kinds of uh, situations where you're selling into an institutional client. And that was this. I love this, Mike, because what you're saying is you use the word uh, pseudo-academic. I wouldn't use that word at all. I would actually use the word what you're really doing is it's, an, it's, a, it's a scholarly conversation that's, me- that's meant to build thought leadership, as opposed to making a sale necessarily. The the transaction happens as a function of coming in and really establishing kind of the issues and the credibility around that we are the leaders in this space from a scholarly perspective in terms of understanding your situation, your particular pain points, and what you're doing. Let me lay that out almost as a general conversation that can then in, sort of ignite Sort of, you know, the idea of getting people involved in that engagement and then seeing you guys as, well, they are the credible source, probably because at that particular moment you haven't tried to sell them anything yet. And so like you led them to that point of, you know, uh, sort of thought leadership. And then later on, they're like, wow, you know, you you know, that th- th- you whetted the appetite, right, as opposed to kind of coming in and sort of doing a direct kind of a thing. Is that is that I'm am, am I hearing it correctly here?
0: That's exactly right. And I'll give you a a concrete example of this. So we, uh, late last fall, um, we we put out a white paper. And usually white papers are sort of, you know, an advertisement for your product in disguise. Our white paper didn't even talk about our products. What it talked about is the history Mm -hmm. of incidents where medical device vendors have publicly disclosed the existence of a cybersecurity vulnerability. Interesting. The FDA has said when there's a vulnerability in a medical device, we want the manufacturer telling the public because mm-hmm. everybody benefits, right? Mm-hmm. Hospitals know that this is out there, they can patch, patients can make decisions if necessary. Mhm. And we had seen a steady uptick in the frequency with which medical device vendors would release this information.
2: Interesting. But nobody
0: had done a real analysis, a statistical analysis of that data. Mm-hmm. And what we found is that something like 40% of all of the disclosures had come from two manufacturers. Oh. Um, There's a, a really large number of disclosures from those two manufacturers. Mm-hmm. And we also showed some evidence that, you know, those two manufacturers Rather than being seen as companies that had really bad security issues because mm-hmm. they kept coming out with all these vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. they were seen as taking a proactive approach uh, to securing their medical devices. Mm-hmm. They were actually benefit benefiting in the marketplace. Interesting. We then showed that that hey, of the top forty medical device vendors. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I think the number was 32 of them had medical devices that could conceivably have a security vulnerability, mm-hmm. but only seven of them had ever put out a, a vulnerability disclosure. So where That's are the other 25? Mm-hmm. So the only two conclusions are those other 25 have perfect devices with no security issues. You know, mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm or nobody's ever found a security issue, mm. or security issues are being found and not discussed. Oh. And we left that as sort of an open question, right? What should we do here? Mm-hmm. So we, we released this white paper, and we also made public the, the Google uh, spreadsheet that we had used to track all of this data. Mm-hmm. And we found that you know over the last year, I've had at least five people tell me You know, I work inside a medical device vendor, I have been trying to convince our legal team that we can disclose when there are vulnerabilities without, Mm -hmm. you know, fear of repercussions. Mm -hmm. And they kept telling me, no, we can't do it because it increases our liability. Mm -hmm. And What these people were able to do is to take our data Mm -hmm. and show it to their internal legal team and say, hey, look at these two massive medical device vendors that have put out 40% of the disclosures. Mm -hmm. They haven't had problems. In fact, they're seen as leaders in the space. We need to be doing the same thing. Interesting. By making that data available to those people, we were, you know, we were a resource for those those medical device vendors before they even became a customer, and man, what what a great way to start a conversation about using a product after mm-hmm. they've already been using your data uh, without you even
1: knowing it. That's really I, I love that idea because one of the big things that. We talk about, um, or that we present as our brand, Mike, and you know this well because you, you were here training in, in, your, in your business um, skill sets, uh, and that is the, the use of data to make the case, right? And so I love this example because what you're saying is that you, you found a way to have an empirically compelling argument, and to be able to, to use that as an entree into that conversation. But what's interesting is that it was compelling because it had a counterintuitive spin to it, right? It was sort of like what we're finding is that you know, your hypothesis, which might say that the more of these that you disclose, the worse off you are, is actually false and not, you know, not proven out by the data. And here, here is that information. In fact, your brand you know, we talk about branding a lot on this program. Your brand actually benefits by having that proactive kind of inference that can be made in terms of, you know, doing this certain thing, which then opens up the door for MedCrypt to, uh, to step in and, and fill that need, right?
0: Exactly. And proactive is exactly the word that we like to use because, because the, the two ways that a device vendor can address this problem is, and the, the way they used to address it, is they would just build a medical device, they would ship it, and they would pray that there were no issues. And if there was an issue, they would address it, but only if they really had to. Mm-hmm. What we really call this sort of the reactive approach to cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. And what we're finding, finding now is that not just the FDA, but hospitals, the the, the, the the organizations that purchase these medical devices, are demanding a proactive approach to security, mm-hmm. where device vendors need to to secure the devices while they are being designed. Mm-hmm. Then they ship the devices, and then if there are issues, they can respond to them out in the field. And it's really the companies that are able to deliver this proactive approach to security that are that are winning in the marketplace you know w- one fascinating aspect of this we we set out when we started the company we had a couple of hypotheses that we that we that we put out there that we wanted to test and one of the hypotheses that we still haven't totally proven but i feel pretty good about mm-hmm. is this notion that at some point medical devices will be will be purchased or not purchased in part due to their cybersecurity posture. Mm. In other words, some people will buy a device, you know, one device rather than another because Mm. the first device is more secure. Mm. And we regularly hear, and in fact, I heard this last week. I heard from a, a very... The head of product security is mm. a very large medical device vendor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are not competing on cybersecurity. If we compete on cybersecurity, everybody loses. Nobody wants to advertise their airline that's having the fewest crashes. Mm. And I, <laughs> I, I, I understand this. I get this. But it's something didn't sit right with me. So literally that day, I'm not, not exaggerating, I go home that day, and my, uh, my, my uncle, who is a sales rep for a, a medical device vendor that actually competes with this company, mm-hmm. sent me a picture of the marketing materials for the products Mm -hmm. that this person who was speaking uh, sold. And 25% of the the, the page surface area mm-hmm. of a one-page marketing uh, uh, material mm-hmm. was about the cybersecurity features that had been built into this device. So here is an <laughs> example of a medical device being advertised as being secure, having all of these secure, you know, security features. Mm-hmm. Now, is is that competing on security? Maybe you can make the argument that it's not. But but we see more and more medical device vendors making their cybersecurity posture part of the way they mm. communicate the quality of their, their product, mm-hmm. not unlike the way they would talk about, you know, the sterilization of the product mm-hmm. or their product, you know, their testing procedures or their, their warranties. Cy- cybersecurity is quickly becoming, you know, as important as sterilization.
1: Very, very cool. Mike kajeski thanks so much for coming on the show tonight.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of the show, and, uh, and yeah, I appreciate it.
1: I appreciate you. Thanks very much. Listeners, you can find more about Mark at MedCrip.com. That's M-E-D-C. Sorry, Mike. Oh, sorry. Mike at medcrypt.com. M-E-D-C-R-Y-P-T. Uh, you can also follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Kajeski. That's at M-I-K-E. K-I-J-E-W-S-K-I.
2: For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.